Revolt Black News, presented by State Farm. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. In a journey that led me to my dream that has now turned into a nightmare. Two brothers behind bars, potentially wrongfully accused of murder. Their desperate fight for freedom and is race at the center of their battle. The judge's own words is, what is two black Americans doing here in Ecuador? And the great resignation. 40% of the global workforce intends to leave their job in this coming year. What's behind the spike of people walking away from their jobs in a post-COVID-19 world? Plus, a fashion frenzy. The role black designers are facing in a post-BLM society. Say your name! Then, we had Ava, Afros, and activists. I mean, what more could you ask for? Our special correspondent, Kennedy Rue McCullough, is on the black carpet keeping up with Kaepernick at his big Hollywood premiere. This is the glue that holds everything together. <laughs> All that and more as the Revolt Black News Weekly Revolution starts right now. Welcome to Revolt Black News Weekly. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. Black beyond the borders, from James Baldwin in Paris to Maya Angelou in Ghana, Black Americans have long journeyed for a better life across the world. But when leaving the States, not all experiences abroad yield safe and secure treatment. In 2014, John Stevenson left America for his ecotourism dream in Palara, Ecuador. And as those plans became a reality, his older brother, Runel, joined by his side. But within three years, an American dream for two brothers with booming success in a foreign land turned into an Ecuadorian nightmare. Their revolution to gain justice and freedom is tonight's prime story. What I learned from this experience is being a black man, the first question anyone asked me that's Ecuadorian is, where are you from? And I'll say, I'm American. And their response will be like, no, 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 you must be Haitian. There's already a, a stigma being a black man traveling. From Ivy League to incarceration, John with his brother, Ronell at his side, spoke to us about what they say is a wrongful conviction and a 34 year sentence that started with a tainted arrest. Around four or five in the morning, our door gets busted. One set of gentlemen in ski masks with large guns yelling, everybody get on the floor, get on the floor, get on the floor. The prosecutor says, you know why I'm here, you know why I'm here. Tell me why I'm here. I said, I do not understand why you are here on my property. I haven't even seen a warrant. We see 50 or 60 indigenous shwar that are from the Tawasa community roaming throughout our property. When we later come to find out that they were on the property since three in the morning, two hours prior to the police arriving to serve the warrant, one of the members of the Tawasa community comes and punches me in the face. Two dead bodies were buried on the Stevenson's 125-acre property, which they believe members of the indigenous Shuar tribe nefariously planted. But why? The Stevenson brothers not only see their American nationalities as lawful impositions, but their blackness as overall obstructions. When we testify on the, on the stand in front of the judges, the judges' own words is, what is two black Americans doing here in Ecuador? I think I've visited at least six or seven indigenous communities. 
when they had festivals, they would invite us. It was, it was a friendly atmosphere. When we would leave, certain people from the community would come back and say to us like, hey, people are, are leery of your presence. What is a, a young black man doing here? How does he have the capability to own this type of property? But at the very beginning, uh, the case was handed around to several different prosecutors. At the very, uh, at the onset, uh, that's a red flag to me. Attorney Jason Poblet is president of Global Liberty Alliance, an organization committed to combating violations of fundamental rights throughout the world. He's helped Americans out of Iran and Cuba, and he feels what happened with rapper ASAP Rocky in the summer of 2019 needs to happen with the Stevenson brothers. During the Trump administration, ASAP Rocky had been arrested in Sweden and President Trump uh, dispatched the special presidential envoy to Sweden. If we're gonna do it for ASAP Rocky in Sweden, how can we not do it for John and Ronell who are in Ecuador in our own hemisphere in a place that's a lot more dangerous? But time is of the essence. First, because of a backlog court docket. According to Ecuadorian counsel, we're supposed to be given some guidance from the court at least a decision by the by, by, by the by the which level of government will take this over, and hopefully we'll have a, a favorable decision on the petition to revise the sentence, and then allow us to get in there and to argue all the technical issues that were not argued at trial. Which they claim, if proved timely, DNA evidence would fully exonerate them. But more imminently of concern are the Stevenson brothers' safety in prison. But last month. A hundred people were killed in Ecuadorian prisons. Ten of those people were reportedly beheaded. They had a cellmate recently that had an AK-47. And the cops don't do anything. While the prison system in this country is atrocious, the most important thing is that Americans are aware of our situation. And with that, we bring in our panel. Joining us is Ronell and John Stevenson's father, Robert Stevenson, investigative YouTuber who's extensively reported on the Stevenson brothers' story, Rob Christian. Welcome both of you to the show. Thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. Now, Rob, you've reported a lot on the Stevenson brothers' story, as well as various other stories abroad. So when black folks actually cross the borders of this country, would you say they're safer before or after they leave? I'd actually say after we leave. I'd say we're safer living abroad. I, I actually lived in Medellin, Colombia for about three months. In the first two weeks, I heard gunshots. I still felt safer than I do in the U.S. Now, I think it's an, it's an issue of learning the culture, learning the language and blending in. And I think with the Stevenson brothers, I think the issue that they had was an anomaly, an issue of a family or the head of a family or clan who is either attempting a land grab or a money grab, something like that. But I would honestly say uh, I felt safer and I feel safer when I leave the U.S. Thank you, Rob. Uh, Mr. Stevenson, what role, if any, do you think that just being black Americans had for your sons versus their American identification? How much of their incarceration do you think is because they're black? Between 70 and 75 percent because they're black. I think the rest is about money. Every um, high-power attorney and even a couple of the ex-judges in Ecuador, they said, the only reason you guys, your sons are in the predicament 
first they're black and two because they're Americans. Wow, actually said the words. Now, Mr. Stevenson, you were with your sons in Ecuador about a week prior to their arrest. Now, had you not flown back exactly when you did, your sons believe that you very well could be incarcerated with them in this moment. What is your reaction to that? To be honest with you, it would have been myself and my wife would have been incarcerated. Mm. And, you know, my wife is a FAA official and that would have been an awful, awful mess if that had happened. And we had gone down there to help my sons in the expansion they were doing on the farm because they had not so long before gotten an agreement with Tabasco Pepper Company to plant 20,000 peppers on the farm. Wow. And, and my sons were recruiting more employees to expand on the pigs that they, they were going to raise and the chickens that they were raising, uh, along with all the vegetables that were planting. Yeah. What I hear you saying, Mr. Stevenson, is that your sons weren't just uh, in, inhabitants of this country. They were doing extremely well financially, um, very savvy businessmen. Do you think that, that that success had a lot to do with their arrest? The farm had turned around from when we got it to something that looked like a little city. Okay, mm -hmm. They had uh, wide roads through the farm. It was street lights on the farm. John set up a bar and, or uh, a nightclub on the farm. He literally stole a lot of customers away from businesses in the town. After he got there, he started to do bodybuilding and then into bodybuilding contests and won Mr. Ecuador twice. And then the rumor was going around that he might run for mayor of the town. And I, the Samarando, the head of the Samarando had been trying to run for mayor for at least uh, four or five times prior and didn't get through. How, how are you feeling right now emotionally, Mr. Stevenson? Are you able to have any communication with your sons? And, and how are you and your wife doing? Um, you know, I think after four years of going through this ordeal, we have come to be a lot more settled and accommodating with some of the, the, the situation as it is. What is so troubling is that there were so many people who really liked John and appreciated John for what he was. And I saw certain key signs that he didn't see. And he said, when I go into town, some little business owner will say to me, John, I haven't seen you in a while. Were you locked up? And he would say, why would I be locked up? I don't do anything. <laughs> and I would say, you know, an old colloquial term if a blind man says he's going to pelt you with a stone, he already has a stone in his hand. He can't go looking for a stone. And he would say, Dad, they can't do anything to me because I'm not doing anything. And I said, well, we can see because if people want you, they'll find a way to get you. Robert, let me ask you in your reporting, uh, any, any help uh, for these Stevenson brothers from America? That hits a nerve for me. Um, to be honest with you, that's where the U.S. is really lacking. This should have been mainstream, a mainstream story three, four years ago. And to be honest with you, I'm not seeing where the wheels are actually turning the way that they should be turning right now. How, how much of a role do you think uh, the blackness of the Stevenson brothers plays into that? Do you think they would be dealt with differently if they were white uh, people imprisoned abroad? I report a lot on Colombia, and I look at case after case after case 
where, you know, missing person or missing girl, or missing guy. And if I look at the pictures, I mean, what conclusion can I draw other than it's the fact that they are black, that they are not, that the representatives are not moving faster and harder and as they mm. should. Mr. Stevenson, I want to ask you before we go, uh, for those that do want to bring more mainstream attention to the case of your sons and want to make sure that this is handled with the appropriateness that it should, what, what can people do? What, what would be your ask of the, the diaspora who wants to make sure that your sons uh, get the, the justice that they do deserve? More pressure should be brought to bear on the State Department. More pressure should be brought on the embassies. People can try to reach out to their own representative. They can also ask to have bills. Uh, America contribute a lot of money in terms of grants to Ecuador. They can hold their funds and say, all we are asking you to do is to apply justice. Well, listen, Mr. Stevenson, uh, know that we are praying for, for you and justice for your sons. Rob Christian, brother, we appreciate your time and expertise very, very much. Now ahead, RBN special correspondent Darian Hall takes a deep dive into mental health. But coming up, it's the great resignation. More and more Black Americans are logging off of Zoom for good, and they're forging entrepreneurial paths. We'll explore it up next. Welcome back. Now, it's become the phrase of the year, the great resignation, also known as the big quit. Now, it stems from the ongoing trend in the U.S. of employees voluntarily leaving their jobs. From spring of 2021 to now, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, folks are reassessing their priorities. And for many Black Americans, we're choosing to quit and take control of our fiscal destiny and opening up a path to entrepreneurship. People have experienced such stress, such anxiety, and a ton of burnout in the last 18, 19 months. That is also driving their interest to say, I don't want this lifestyle as it is. I want to change it. More than 25 million people quit their job between January and July. And in many cases, as we're moving towards a post-pandemic return to the workplace, Women and marginalized people may fear experiencing more microaggressions and racially charged slights in an office setting. There's also the frustration of having to be in the same space with colleagues who don't particularly value them or having to return to commutes that are mentally and physically taxing. No one's going to give us anything. We have to work for what we are trying to achieve. And through entrepreneurship, Darnell Bowen is the controller at HelloAlice.com, which empowers Black entrepreneurs. We encourage those struggling to return to the workforce to actually start their own business. Step out on that dream that you've already had. Look, utilize that skill that you've developed over time to develop, to actually benefit the economy. According to labor statistics, in August of 2021, almost 4.4 million Americans quit their jobs. The resignation rate is at its highest in over 20 years. 40% of the global workforce intends to leave their job in this coming year. And many have, with millennials leading the pack. Some of the hardest hit sectors are healthcare and tech. The specific reasons? First and foremost, perhaps, burnout. 
it's traumatic, it's stressful. We're at a breaking point. They feel so undervalued. It's it's hard, it's, it's, it's a tough time. For many African-Americans, particularly black women, the pandemic has prompted a professional reassessment. Many resigners also nurtured entrepreneurial ambitions. Uh, during the pandemic, we partnered with corporate and private ent entities uh, such as uh, Baker, Beyonce's foundation to give out over $5 million in grants. And for NAACP president, Derek Johnson, teaming with entrepreneurial support sites like Hello Alice is key for the success of black businesses. Our next step as we continue to create this community of entrepreneurs and, and, and black businesses is to help identify uh, organizations and entities to provide technical assistance, access to capital, and other opportunities so that we can strengthen uh, the African-American uh, Black business community. Investing in businesses led by people of color and women is a profitable endeavor. They're investing in the diversification of a rebounding economy. And our data has proven over and over again that women and people of color do run profitable businesses. This is just a smart move. I want to bring in Denise Hamilton, author, CEO, and founder of Watch Her Work. Davida Selby, CEO and founder of Caitlin and Ajua Skincare and Human Resource and Career Specialist, Kavona Makanoff. Uh, to help give us all more perspective. Thank you all ladies for being here. So I wanna start with uh, you, Denise. Now, when you hear statistics like the one that says more than 2 million women have actually left the workforce, how do you think this pandemic has affected uh, women in the workforce? Well, we've been working for decades to promote equality and equity in the workforce. And the pandemic was quite frankly, a stress test. And I hate to break it to us, but we failed. Millions of women left the workforce, and quite frankly, millions want to leave but can't. Um, we just did not see the support for women staying in their positions. And what we're going to have to get ready for is we thought the wage gap differential was terrible before. It's going to be even worse. Kavona, I want to ask you, according to Forbes, Black women actually represent 42% of new female-owned businesses. Uh, that's a staggering amount compared to what we represent on the populace. So what does that tell you about the tenacity of Black women to control our own narrative? Black women have been building organizations on their backs for decades and have had very little to show for it, but stress, low wages, and limited time to spend with their families. But when you start to see Black women that look like you creating the futures that they want, right, um, making maybe $60,000 quarterly as a possibility versus $60,000 annually, you become even more motivated to do that for yourself. Traditionally, the narrative has been, you know, take what we can get, um, be grateful, and, and settle for less. But today, Black women are saying no to doing more for less. We're saying no to corporations, quite frankly, that are just unsupportive of our growth. Indeed. And following up on that, you know, entrepreneurship is not, of course, without risk, uh, financial risk and, and, and many others. What do you say to Black women that are trying to assess what that risk uh, looks like for them and their families? 
really take a look at where you are financially, where you want to be. What does it take to actually take care of yourself and, and your family? And start with side hustling if possible. Our job market today allows for it to allows for women to um, side hustle much. Um, easier than, than before. And there is that possibility to do both for a little bit and really see where that goes. If this side hustle is really growing and growing into a business and um, more of your time is needed to take it to the next level, you know, absolutely make that move, take that leap if that is one that your financial situation can can handle. Because when your skills and your ideas grow and scale corporations, surely you can do that for yourself. Indeed. Now, Davida, I want to ask you for some resources and outlets to help some budding entrepreneurs that might be out there. They might be doing some of that risk assessment we just heard about. Uh, and as they maybe think about making the pivot to self-employment, what are some resources that could, could help them? For sure. Um, and, you know, to the point, I was a side hustler for um, a couple of years. I was working in the corporate world and um, running my own company. And some resources that really helped me was um, my Leak Tales podcast. I listened to so many podcasts about businesses, um, you know, just reading different books. And then there's also an organization called Buy From a Black Woman. And, you know, joining that organization really gave me the tools that I needed to, you know, just really take my business from a side hustle to a full-time job. Now, you mentioned it, but I know, Davida, that you did resign from your full-time job in July and you chose to focus on this entrepreneurship. Tell me, um, talk me through the decision and, and tell me how that focus, that pivot allowed you to then really expand the tourism and travel aspect of your brand. It was a hard decision that um, I had to come to. I always knew starting this brand, eventually I would know when it was time to walk away from the corporate world, um, but it was still very scary. So we started as a skincare line and all of our um, products are sourced directly from Ghana. More of our customers had questions about Ghana. So that, that's when we decided to expand the brand and start adding these travel tours. So we have seven day curated trips to Ghana where you can now see where your products are coming from. Absolutely. That's fabulous. I think I need to go on one of these uh, trips to Ghana. That sounds amazing. Denise, what do you advise Black women to do as they attempt to re-enter this workforce in this moment? If you are staying in corporate America, I want to I want to kind of give you a little bit of encouragement. I have decided to call this the great renegotiation instead of the great resignation. Everything is on the table. People are desperate, desperate. Leaders are desperate to retain you. So this is a time to step up to the table and to be a part of that renegotiation. What does the new workforce look like? What are the new possibilities and new opportunities? You want to be a part of those discussions as we reimagine what the future of work looks like. I have to tell you, ladies, I'm certainly excited. This feels like an opportunity of a lifetime for a generation of Black women moving forward. Um, I, I see it. I, I'm excited about it. I, I'm taking away from our conversation today themes of reimagination, renegotiation, uh, and it's about time. Uh, Davida, Denise, and Kavana, thank you all so much for your insight. Now, coming up next, our entertainment roundup, including our guest correspondent, Kennedy Rue McCullough. She's on the black carpet for Ava DuVernay and Colin Kaepernick's Big Night. That's up next.
my passion, my love, was being a quarterback. But what you start out as is not necessarily what you become. Welcome back to Revolt Black News Weekly. I'm Ebony K. Williams. Now it's time to check out some of the entertainment headlines. Our special correspondent, Kennedy Rue McCullough, has all the details. Hey, Kennedy. Hey there, Ebony. Let's kick things off as Will Smith gets candid in his bid to get healthy. But first, I'm keeping up with Colin Kaepernick in this week's Entertainment Roundup. We took his memories and we used them as a springboard to talk about larger issues. And, um, and that's what the series is. Growing up with white parents, I assumed their privilege was mine. You too good? Okay. Fine, thanks. Yeah, I'm good too. Thanks. This is the glue that holds everything together. <laughs> Collins' world revealed he was beaming alongside director Ava DuVernay at the premiere of the Netflix series, Colin in Black and White. A lot of times people say, well, how did he get to be Colin? It started in high school. Colin already got his game face on. Kaepernick's story is a result of DuVernay and Cap talking as friends, and that opened up the floodgates to his life, which is told through the eyes of 18-year-old Jaden Michael, who plays young Cap. What do you hope the audience takes away from the film? I hope they learn to respect Colin. Um, even if you can't um, understand his political motivations, maybe you can come to understand his um, selflessness and his bravery and the courage and tenacity it takes to, to go against white privilege and um, to stand up for what you believe in. The black carpet was a who's who of black Hollywood out to support. Oscar winner Regina King was among the heavy hitters. She was still on a high after her handprint ceremony on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It was so special. My whole family was there, you know, my sisters, my mother, my uncle. You know, it was it, 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 a little surreal because I'm born and bred in LA. It's easy for a Negro to pass for white. I'm not sure it'd be so simple for a white person to pass for color words to describe this film. Suspenseful, stunning, stunning and sensual. Three very potent words to describe the Netflix drama Passing, which takes a hard look at colorism and race in the 1920s, with Ruth Nega and Tessa Thompson co-starring. What do you think the takeaway from this film should be? It's really fascinating. Um, it has its roots, obviously, in slavery. Colorism, no one talks about it. There's a lot of shame. And, and shame is such a hard thing to fight through to get to a discussion that has is of any great depth and meaning. Yeah. A conversation about passing. The title references African Americans who had skin color light enough to be perceived as white. The practice of which is passing. It's revealing behind the curtain what happens, the real people whose real lives were affected by the reality of Jim Crow by the reality of deeply res restrictive, racist social mores that were legitimized in law, and how people had to navigate that. And passing is part of that canon. I'm gonna lose 20 pounds in 20 weeks. Come on, Will. Big Willie style takes on new meaning. Will Smith is on a mission to get healthy with his new YouTube series, Best Shape of My Life, which drops November 8th. When I started this show, about to get it. I thought I was getting into the best shape of my life 
physically, but mentally, I was somewhere else. It is a journey for Smith, who gets candid peeling back layers of his past. I'm writing my book, and it's like exposing my life and so many things that people don't know about me. That was the only time in my life that I ever considered suicide. Cameras follow Smith for the good and bad moments, at times capturing a very emotional will in his family. Whew, damn. All right, let's check out some other headlines that are making entertainment news. Let's bring in Ty Cole and Shanika Taylor for some perspective. What's up, guys? Hey! Hello. Good to see you both. Okay, let's begin with the new UCLA report about diversity in Hollywood. Are you surprised that the latest UCLA Hollywood diversity report reveals that television viewers during the pandemic leaned into content that came out of more diverse writers' rooms that featured more diverse casts? No, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, we've proven time and time again that, you know, with our touch and our input, especially when it comes to talking to viewers about our own perspective, the authenticity of the characters and the character development speaks for itself. I mean, let's take a look at during the pandemic. One, we're at home, nowhere to go. People are chilling in the crib. You have time to watch all this content. We caught a couple of things like, hold on, wait a minute. How can you tell my story if you're not me? Prime example was Big Mouth, okay? We had to have Miss Jenny Slate leave that role because she was voicing Misty, who was a Black character. And we had to replace her with Miss Ayo Edebree who now is a writer as well. So she gets to tell the perspective of being a black girl growing up within that universe. I definitely am gonna have to agree with Ty. If you think about it, we had nothing but time. Yes, sir, yes, sir. It's your boy Spitty here from DGB, AKA Dirty Glove Bastards off the porch podcast. Now, if you're a fan of artist interviews, then make sure to check out and subscribe to Off the Porch a show that interviews everybody from the dopest up-and-coming artists, your favorite OGs and legends, street comedians, directors, and other influential people from the culture. And it's brought to you exclusively by Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip-hop, powered by creators. To kill. So America got tired, and they were like, you know, what other new content can we dip in and watch? And guess what happened? They saw it, and they liked it. So diverse writers, diverse cast, they had their moment. And that's why you always got to be ready because you never know when it's going to be your time to shine. It sucks that it took a worldwide pandemic for talented people to get appreciated. However, I think it's important for us to celebrate these big moments. Since we're talking about diversity, it's a perfect time to switch to the Sex in the City HBO Max series. Nicole Ari Parker has just been added to the cast. Is this about a time situation for the show that for so many years was criticized about diversity, although Blair Underwood did make news when he was added? Um, honestly, I, I'm happy, I guess. Like, don't get me wrong. For Nicole Ari Parker, this is great. Get your coin, secure your bag. I ain't mad, sis. However, I feel like hiring the minority token uh, Black person is just played out. That was so 20 years ago. In Sex in the City, the last film they did, you know, we saw Jennifer Hudson play the doggone assistant. That's Oscar winning Jennifer Hudson was an assistant. 
Um, so for me personally, it's just like, do your thing. As long as you put some respect on Nicole's name, then I can't be mad at it. Capiche? During the panty, I definitely binge watched all of the seasons of Sex and the City and Wild Folk movies. So for me, I am a little excited, but I will say, how are we in New York City and there's a lack of Black people around? So right. I'm happy that Nicole is up in here. I think she's a great addition. I want to see how does sex look in your 50s from a Black woman's perspective. Something that she's going to do up in there may reminisce a little bit about her and Boris. <laughs> I will say since she is a part of that group, though, that I want to see a little backstory about her character as well. You know, I think that I want to see her own separate small story arc of her friend group. Like, let's add in a Holly Robinson P, a Sherry Shepard, a Erica Alexandra, a Tamala Jones, Jill Marie Jones. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's showcase some of her Black girlfriends and hear what those conversations sound like. I want to get your guys' take on this, too, because it's been reported that Nicole Ari Parker has been getting some flack from fans who thought that she'd be replacing Kim Cattrall on the show, which wasn't the case. What do you guys think about that? Kim Cattrall had her own beef with Sarah Jessica Parker, so y'all need to leave Nicole out of it. She's minding her business, getting her bag, and that's what y'all need to be dealing, doing, too. Exactly. First of all, you can't replace Samantha Jones. In the words of Wendy Williams, she's the moment, okay? She's an icon and she's a legend, period. And Kim said in an interview, if y'all check the receipts back then, she definitely said, hey, how about in my replacement, we have a woman of color, how we have a black woman who can fill in my void. Absolutely. Ty and Shanika, thank you so much for breaking this down. All right, straight ahead, breaking down how the Black fashion movement has advanced since the BLM cause and uproar. fashion designer Stella Jean's infamous campaign in the throes of the Black Lives Matter movement of 2020 not only exposed a lack of representation, but it tackled stereotypes head on for an industry readily with products marred in controversy. Welcome back to Revolt Black News Weekly. I'm special guest correspondent Kennedy Rue McCullough. We're examining how fashion has or has not progressed since the Black Lives Matter movement. And joining me is CEO of Fashion Bomb Daily, Claire Summers. Frenchie Harris, the founder of the Black Fashion Movement, and the fashion designer and finalist for season 16 of Project Runway, Kenya Freeman. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Claire, let's start with you. Um, on the heels of Stella Jane's campaign last year, do you think fashion has advanced since? And would it have happened without an overt move within the fashion industry like that? I certainly have seen some changes and advances in the fashion industry, specifically from the CFDA and the Vogue perspective. We're seeing traditional media sidling up to Black designers, featuring them in editorials, making a concerted effort to feature models in Black designers. And um, I think that we need consistent discussions and conversations about this. And I'm grateful to designers like Stella Jean for, for opening it up. 
Um, and it's sad that it has to take Black Lives Matter for us to really thrust a spotlight on the fact that we are still separate and equal in a lot of ways and specifically in the fashion industry. And I feel as if the fashion industry is perhaps one of the last industries where outright discrimination and um, exclusion is still acceptable because a lot of times people think it's superficial or it's frivolous and we wanna focus on the politics and the news. But for those who really wanna have a career in fashion and really want to pursue their their passion it's important to have organizations like fashion bomb daily black fashion movement for us to continue to to push this conversation forward my perspective is a little bit different because i'm moving more into the plus size space so i have a whole lot to say about uh, plus size fashion and what that means in the industry but um it does have a long way to go <laughs> it has a long way to go i was just in neiman's and then you went for wear brims and um, I'm looking around and there was, I'm a size 16, which is considered on the smaller spectrum of plus size. And there was nothing for me. There was absolutely nothing for me to buy, but either a handbag or a shoe. And so there's a lot to be said just in, in that space alone when it comes to plus, but when it comes to black, because I didn't see a lot of those um, brands either. As the fashion industry takes its cues from culture and controversial moves, like Balenciaga um, allegedly appropriating sagging or Burberry apologizing for um, the hoodie with the noose. I ask you guys this question, is fashion becoming more aware or are people looking for controversy? What do you think? If we're gonna be 100% honest about these brands who are making these mistakes, mm -hmm. their target audience probably isn't even us. So they never even thought about, is it going to be offensive to the consumer? Because we weren't the consumer. Right. You know, a lot of luxury brands, you know, Black people, we're we going to spend our money on clothes, food, and cars, right? Yep. And so we want to wear these luxury brands. But what we really need to think about is why and own our power. We have $1.2 trillion in Black spending power. Right. We get to decide where we spend those dollars. Mm -hmm. We get to decide where we put our talent. Mm -hmm. And if we keep waiting for someone else to say or put something out specific for us, it's not going to happen. Right? Mm -hmm. That's where we, you know, have to create own that narrative, like um, Claire said, mm -hmm. and create our own tables and our own pathway mm -hmm. to consumer purchases, purchasing power. Because if we're waiting for someone to do that for us, we know now after centuries, after decades, it's not happening. Mm -hmm. But now is the time, I think, after George Floyd that we've kind of as creatives and as people in this industry are like, okay, that's enough. Right. We, we're, we're about to do this. Absolutely. I think it's so incredible that you ladies have managed to create these movements that really empower us and bring recognition and light to us. Have you noticed that since the post-BLM movement, there's been this kind of galvanizing attention around Black designers? Have you noticed that? Or do you think that that's just hearsay? I've noticed it with some, you know, and I think that people should not just cherry pick the certain, we call it tokenism, you know, not sure. to say that the designers who are, the ones that are getting the most fanfare don't deserve it. 
um, yeah. just understanding the breadth, the, the diversity of designers that we have, and maybe taking some true um, intention in, in seeking out numerous brands that, that, that you can support. And, um, you know, everybody on this panel has done a wonderful job of, of doing that. Um, but, you know, we don't, we don't want to just have the, the five brands that everybody goes to. We want, we want to spread it around, as you said, to encourage hiring, to circulate the black dollar, create generational wealth, it's all important. Claire, Frenchie, Kenya, thank you so much for that important conversation while keeping it fashion. Up, special correspondent Darian Hall spotlights mental health when we return. I'm doing a lot better, obviously. Putting my mental health first was really important to me. So once I got back here, um, started doing that, and now we're on tour. So I'm super happy to take Cerebral on the road with me. Um, hasn't been an easy journey, but it's definitely been worth it. Welcome back to Revolt Black News Weekly. We're turning our attention now to mental health especially as athletes like Simone Biles has been very open about the topic and the toll it's taken on her life and career. This week in our stand-up series, RBN special correspondent Darian Hall delves deeper and sheds light on why it's so important to talk about mental health, especially in the black community. Hi, my name is Darian Hall. I am the co-founder of Heal House. Uh, Heal House is a wellness studio based in Brooklyn, New York. Heal House was really created, um, you know, with the intention to really fill a void that was in the wellness space. You know, at the time, we didn't really see any wellness studios, whether it was, you know, yoga, yoga studios or meditation studios, therapy clinics that really were inclusive of, of Black folks. You know, the beautiful thing that has happened over the last couple of years is seeing the conversations change and shift in, uh, you know, not only in the wellness community, but also just in pop culture. If you look at um, some of the music that we're listening to, you have rappers rapping about therapy and mental health and the importance of that. If you look at some of the athletes today, whether it's, um, you know, Naomi in tennis or, um, you know, some of these other great athletes, they're talking about the importance of, men you know, mental health. One of the uh, reasons that I even got into uh, the work that I'm doing with Hill House was really to help, um, you know, Put together a space that was also inclusive of men. You know, uh, my journey into this really started with a lot of conversations with a lot of my male friends about some of the different stresses that they were going through in life that were, you know, very common amongst men, but a lot of times we don't talk about it. Um, but realizing that, you know, we could all benefit from having these type of spaces in our community. The vision for Heal House is really to just really expand uh, what we're doing with our programming and reach as many people as possible and normalizing mental health and, you know, our community just really taking care of themselves and seeing themselves reflected in uh, the programming. My name is Darian Hall. I am the co-founder of Heal House. Wanted to thank State Farm and Revolt for using that platform to really highlight the work that we're doing at Heal House. It's extremely important that you know, we have resources in our community that really deal with mental health and want to thank you guys for, um, for highlighting what we do. Thank you, Darian. Extremely helpful information about mental health and why it's so important that it's discussed. All right, that does it for us. Thank you all so much. Now, we'll be joining you next week coming from the ATL for the Revolt Summit. Now, that kicks off November 11th through the 13th. Listen, it's going to be an amazing three days of empowering our black and brown young people through panel discussions 
and networking as some of the biggest names in social justice and activism collide with some of the heavy hitters of hip-hop and R&B, along with the brightest minds in business. You don't want to miss it. We're going to see you then. I'm Ebony K. Williams for Revolt Black News Weekly and the revolution that is shaking the foundation of popular culture. It's your girl Lala Shepard. Boss Brit the most lit. What's up? It's your girl DJ Excel, and you are tuned into the Progress Report podcast. Okay, and if you're a fan of hip hop news and culture, make sure y'all like and subscribe to our podcast, The Progress Report. Brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip hop, powered by creators.